Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Eid Mubarak to everyone listening over this long Eid al-Fitr weekend. I uh, hope you're all having a wonderful time. We did record this episode a couple of days beforehand. It's a really interesting interview for two reasons. One is the industry of consultancy is going through a corporate rep reputation uh, issues at the moment. We've heard of KPMG fines in Dubai, global restructuring issues with companies like EY. Uh, but also, as usual on Dubai Works, we love to tell the stories of businesses that are born and run here. And what a great story this is with uh, the makeup of the business is uh, senior people who've come together with uh, established careers to form this company. Uh, so enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. Today, we are with Khaled Ismail. He is the CEO of Tough Love. Tough Love provides business guidance that can easily assess, be assessed by individuals who may have limited resources, experience, or ability to handle their expansion or to try out optimal approaches. We'll be hearing the very interesting story of Tough Love. Lots of experience goes into this company, uh, the advisory industry in the UAE and the region, and what comes afterwards. Uh, good morning, Khaled. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, so, you know, Tough Love has come across my radar. It's a very catchy name. So can you tell us a bit about it? You know, the name is, is part of the selling proposition. It's Tough Love. Tough Love is what usually is given by someone that cares about you. Your uncle, your aunt gives you Tough Love because they care about you and they care about your growth and your prosperity, whatever. So from a business perspective, that's where the name comes from. Of course, there's a story or a backstory to it. Uh, but the idea is for us to tap into the market with giving tough love to businesses uh, to grow, mainly SMEs, family-owned businesses. The bigger boys and girls out there, they have their own resources and they have access to the bigger boys out there that help them with their growth. So that's really what Tough Love is all about. And so when did you start the business? And uh, can you just describe the, the, the makeup of the business, who's involved and everything? Of course. So the business started a couple of months before I stepped down from my corporate career of about 33 years now. Wow. Um, and I thought, I want a purpose. I need a purpose. Like a lot of people who are a bit grayer than, you know, than, than I am right now. And uh, I thought maybe there is a way to give back to the community, the business community that I belong to. Um, and every time I spoke to someone, especially the ones I had an eye on, they would nod with me uh, and they would say, I like the idea. And then, of course, when I say the word tough love, they kind of say, hmm, interesting, let's talk more. So the idea came together when I met a lot of practitioners, people who were like me, been in the industry, never probably played a role in their life in a consultancy before. Uh, and we all agreed uh, we want to come together and uh, create Tough Love. About a year and a half ago, we've celebrated our first anniversary on the 9th of March. Uh, we're very happy about that. And we launched our book, Made with Tough Love. 
uh, which is right here. I'm going to give you a copy of that. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the individuals behind it are industry captains. Uh, the people, they're high profile individuals that have stepped down from their three or four decades of, of experience. And they have worked in multitude of companies, mostly international companies where we learned um, whether it was in the advertising industry, aviation industry, banking, FMCG, uh, packaging, industrial, all of that. I mean, I can mention various names, but that's really the makeup of the team. Uh, we have partners and we have senior advisors who comprise of the people that come together to form Tough Love. Yeah, amazing. And and your background was, when you say industry, was it the advisory industry or a different? My background was never been in the advisory or consultancy. So just like everyone else on the team, uh, I've started my career in advertising about 33 years ago. Uh, I went and I looked after two major brands, Coca-Cola and Tetra Pak. Uh, and funnily enough, I've joined Coca-Cola for seven years and then Tetra Pak for over 20 years. Uh-huh. I was looking after mainly marketing, branding, reputation, the comms, the Marcoms piece. My last job was with Tetra Pak, uh, looking after Europe, Central Asia, Middle East and Africa out of Dubai, which was very Amazing. fortunate for me. Amazing. And yeah, you know, you did mention the, the people involved in it, but they really are well-known personalities, leaders and how how is it to align with you know the the book says nine uh, leaders share their learnings from failures and success, how, you know how it's not always easy to ha- find one business partner. How did you find nine? Well, you know I was lucky. I have to say lucky because I'm the chairman of the marketing society, uh, and the marketing society has industry captains on its board and as its membership, and that's where the luck started. Is that I was able to tap into people who I've liked, because people do business with people they like. Uh, and they were people that I that inspired me, that I liked to work with. And uh, I would bring up the topic when I stepped down. I basically started doing this out of my so-called makeshift office in the golf club, Emirates Golf Club. And uh, we, yeah, sat down and talked about what is it that we can do together and align our thoughts and our ambitions and where do we want to go from here and how long do you want to do this? Funnily enough, almost every single one of them have been offered a job to go back to the corporate world. There's nothing wrong with the corporate. We love the corporate world, but you can get sick of it after a while because what you're doing is that you're building muscles for your wings for 30 years. Now let those wings fly, allow you to fly. And that is exactly what these people agreed with me on, with a purpose, to give back to organizations who otherwise would be intimidated by the big consulting world out there. What we have seen historically, and I have been experiencing it on the other end, is that when you're engaging with some of these machines, let's call them, Mm. uh, you are expected to pay a significant amount of time and money Uh, to be able to get some help. Now, there's a lot of small companies out there, and we're not talking small as in insignificant. We're talking $100 million, $50 million, $100 million dirhams. These people don't want to spend a million dollars to have an engagement that helps them grow as an organization. So 
when we saw that opportunity, we said, well, we're there to help you with $50,000 project, a $100,000 project, meaning we want to be paid for our time, but we don't want to drain the opportunity for growth that you were coming to us in the first place for. And, and there was a huge need for that. Another thing is language. The bigger corporates like to speak the language or that, as I call it, which I'm now allergic to, the jargon. Mm. I'm allergic to jargon. I try to speak in layman's language because that's what people understand. And that's what businesses understand. And that's what business owners understand. So marrying all these things together, we're accessible, we're experienced, and we're able to help them with things that we have been part of in our lives. If I take a pause here and give you some statistics about no, no defaming anyone, but the facts are 50% of the workforce of the consulting world is below the age of 30, 50%. So between 20 and 30 is the average age. So imagine having a 27-year-old smart man or woman coming in to a 57-year-old sitting on a $100 million business advised by a 27 who's never stepped in his business before. And that's where some of the gaps are. They rely on insight. They rely on best practices. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you fixing my problem right here locally. So these are the things that we found that makes a difference. Amazing, but what's the catch? In terms of your service, if I'm an SME and I have a certain price point and a budget, uh, say if it's in any type of service, you pay for what you get. And if I look at this, I see nine captains of industry, nine senior people. I look at it and I go, what's the catch? How, how can I afford them? You know, usually, typically, I would have not even been able to afford the big guys. I would have had to go for the cheaper ones, the 23-year-olds, not the 27-year-olds. You know, so what's the catch? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, Richard, you've picked on the exact differentiation that we have. We are not sitting there earning a salary so I can put bread on the table. Mm. I'm here with a purpose. And if I make some money along the way, I'm happy. And I would love to see the sparkles in their eyes to see success. So you mentioned a very interesting point. We have come across from what we've told as a little bit intimidating in the fact that these people are senior, could be expensive. That is exactly the opposite of what we're trying to achieve here. Put forward the proposal, come to us with a challenge, and let's see, let me show you what we can do. And we go through a process, and the process is very simple. In immersion, just like everyone else, because I'm not gonna walk in and pretend that I know everything, so it's gonna be observations and listening, and we give you a report at the end of that. What have we seen? The second stage, which is different from anyone else because of over 80%, 80% of businesses today need personalized solutions. So what we do is we co-create, and that is the differentiation. We have time, we allocate the time to co-create. Co-create means, yes, I have my experience, but I will never know your business, just like you do. Back to the point that I mentioned before. Now, I'm, but I have been sitting in your shoes or one of your C-suite shoes before, and I know the eh, little bit of what could potentially be the dynamics, the politics, the challenges, and the ecosystem that we work in, provided I understand and, and appreciate the industry. Like I said, we come from various different industries. 
When we co-create, what tends to happen is that you have ownership. No one's basically uh, putting a spoon by force in your mouth saying, here's the solution. You, we have co-created it with you. And the third one is obvious, is implementation. The key is in implementation. And the idea is to implement at a local level and to make sure that we are accountable for the results together. Mm. So it's a, is it a performance remuneration uh, it, it can be. It can be. It can be. Everything's custom. Uh, I, of course. If, if, if you come to me and you say, look, th this is what, because obviously I'm not going to sit there for 80% of the work without you agreeing to it. So we have to agree on the steps. At every stage you agree. Usually any business would have 10, 15 different priorities. Hmm. I don't advise that. You hmm. choose three. Do you agree with those three? That's going to move your business to grow in the direction you want it. A lot of businesses, they want growth. They want regional expansion. They want professionalization. They want an exit plan. What is it that you want to do? And we listen to that and come to you with a plan. You agree with it, then we start co-creating, and then we implement together. It's interesting. When you pick a company of a certain size, and I know SME, the terminology can vary in terms of revenue, but you did list four things there that might be common challenges. Does that mean that you know, when you, when you sat down with your partners at the start of this, that you said, okay, well, we obviously have our experience, but what's our process? And do we have... Not, not templates, but do we have structure, how we're going to go about this? For example, you know, growth and um, M&A or region expansion. Uh, you know, did you say, well, what did you guys learn about that? Or, or females, like, what did you learn and how can we apply that? We, we spent six months before we officially launched. It was actually a lot of tough love given within the team. Imagine having nine people in the same room. It was a nightmare, to be honest, because they're all very powerful people. And funnily enough, almost every single one of them had an army reporting to them before they left. Imagine them as, as answering to each other now at that minuscule level of detail of what structure do we need? What are the templates? What is the process? Because, you know, we're going to come in and say, we're going to help you. How do I help you? And we utilize a little bit of what we've learned and some of it that made sense in the spirit of how we bring in tough love to that table. So yes, we have co-created that within the team ourselves. And one of the things that we've learned as well is that you have to be flexible because you may put a template. It's the policy of the company. No, it's, we have a standard. We want to stick to it because I want to deliver quality. But if it means that we are flexible, nimble enough to change things. And the beauty of it, owning your own company and as a CEO, is that if something doesn't work, I don't go take three weeks to make a decision. I sit down with the team, they come back to me with a solution, I go propose a solution, and guess what? Within five minutes, it's changed. Mm. And then we have to put it in place and in practice. And that's the beauty of having a smaller company. Now, we want to grow, but I would also want to grow with the same spirit. Yeah. And, and a year in the services that you'd set out to do, how, you know, um, one of the, one of the things about a, a service industry, whether it's marketing is that theoretically you can generate revenue as soon as you have a client. Uh, it, you know, it's not necessarily capital intensive, like a startup or, or, you know, other types of, uh, companies. 
is that was that your experience with you know a year in obviously the brand was received well in the market you you had good comments behind this you had well-known personalities involved but was that your experience from a commercial point of view and a services point of view? Um, I have one of the things that I take pride in is that I have failed several times in startups in the past. One of them was a company that was here in the in, in the UAE. And startups are a different animal. One of the things I learned is you have to keep your burn rate very low. Even though you're being funded, whether self-funded or friends and family funded, or potentially a VC, but they'll interfere anyways. But one of the things I learned and we learned and we agreed on is that we have to keep our burn rate low, our expenses low. So for example, and one of the reasons why we are able to afford giving advice at a reasonable, efficient rate, let's call it. We don't have offices. We're virtual. Having said that, we have a home and our home is the AUD the American oh, University nice. in Dubai, because we have went to them and we said, let's barter. We'll give you our time for your alumni, your deans and your students, and let's have an office. So that's an example of that. We don't hire people, so we don't have any salaried people. This is the beginning of a startup. That will change. But the point is, to be able to survive, you have to have a runway of how much money you need to spend on marketing, on processes, on computers, on website, whatever it is. But the point is, that is the survival mechanism that I learned before to enable a startup to survive until significant amount of revenue starts coming in. We've been extremely lucky that revenue starts coming in from day one. And the idea is to how can we scale that up by bringing in advisors that help us deliver. Whilst we are now five partners and four senior advisors who are part of the nine, we need to rely on advisors to deliver some of the projects mm. with our supervision and lead. So that's scaling it up. And that comes with cost. But yeah. for now, this is where we are. Interesting. And the, the partner approach and, you know, employee owned or partner owned companies, is that something that you think you will continue with tough love? 100%. Because if you don't have a stake in something, and that brings me back to many experiences, if I don't have ownership of something, whether it's an idea or a company, don't expect me to have the same zeal as you, Mr. Owner, Mr. CEO, who owns a significant part of this. Even if I give you a fraction of that, but you walk away thinking, this is my business. If I'm going to do something bad, it is going to impact my one or two or 5% that I own. Mm. So. Many companies have that in the sense they have something called associate partners, which means you're not a founding partner. And that is one thing that is actually on the books going forward for us. Mm, interesting. Khaled, to switch tack a little bit, I want to ask about the industry because I'm conscious that you've got, I want to talk about the advisory industry, but also the Marcoms. But if we take the advisory and consultancy industry first, what's the status quo? What's, especially amongst the clients that you speak to, in the region, what's the reputation of the consultancy industry at the moment? Let me, let me just take it, take it back one of what I am passionate about from Tough Love perspective, and then we lead to that. So one of the, there are four areas that we deliver on, and that's the areas that I'm also comparing myself to. One is strategy and, and operations of a company, not audits, not financials, not legal. The second one is marketing and everything comms reputation, PR, 
etc. Branding and culture. And also we've just recently launched the uh, Tough Love Academy, where we are giving away courses to senior C-suite uh, executives, intermediate managers, and executive level entry uh, for the companies. Uh, we have uh, keynote presentations that we offer as part of the academy, and we have something called a senior interim placement as well. So if I am now jumping into the industry, I reflect on where do I belong within that industry. So if I, to, to zoom up a little bit, the global industry itself um, is a humongous industry. Right now, I think in 2021, $316 billion is the value of that industry. We expect it to grow to about 330 this year and between 800 to $1 trillion by the end of this decade, by 2030. So we're looking at a macro industry that is uh, around us. Now, if I bring it down to the region, uh, because we belong to that region and we, we contribute towards it, the biggest player obviously is our friends next door at $1.8 billion in Saudi, mm. um, 730 plus million dollars in the UAE, and the third one in the GCC is Qatar, at 321. So really the difference is significant. And just to put that into perspective, that's uh, that's way, way higher. That's higher than marketing services, isn't it? Those numbers, well, or is it similar? It, 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 it may be because you have media that you need to account yeah, for. Okay. Media is significantly high, but yes, it, it can compete with just the marketing services per se. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we're dealing with a sizable industry. So that's the macro piece of it. And yes, these industries come with their own challenges. Um, I, I, you know, I obviously thought about this before I came here, to be fair, because a, what are their main challenges for an industry like this? The first one is there's an increased competition. Uh, this happening, and I've read about it, and it's actually something that is, uh, there's a reason for it post-COVID, and we'll come to that in a second. There's about 700,000 um, consultancy firms around the world, uh, maybe about three, 400 here in the UAE, but we're talking, it's a significant industry in that sense. So increased competition it will allow for that challenge to take different forms of quality, speed, uh, price, etc. The second one is uh, the digital disruption that's happening in the past five years. One of the interesting facts that I read was it's a McKinsey uh, fact, actually, so it's a self-critiquing uh, uh, of the, the future of the industry. About 35% of the workforce that they have could potentially be replaced by uh, technology, existing technology. We haven't <laughs> talked about ChatGPT yet. So imagine that 35%, where will it be in a year mm -hmm. or two? two or three years time. So that's another challenge to have to think about how do I utilize that resource? And some of these guys are super uh, knowledgeable in their industry and smart, okay? So again, no, no critique of that. The third one is clients. Clients, I was a client for 30 plus years. Our expectations are changing. And like I've said in the, in the previous uh, point, was 80% of clients today, based on global research, are um, 
expecting specific tailor-made solutions from experts with specific industry or function experience. Okay. I'm reading it word for word because that's what I've researched. And I said, interesting. That is, why are they changing? Because before they used to be spoon-fed. I want this, go and get something done in, in the back office or the back in the kitchen of yours and come back and show it to me. And I'll come along because I don't know any better. No, I do know better now. Mm. And I expect tailored solutions. Mm. The third one is the gig economy. The fourth one, sorry, is the gig economy is growing. And that's the point I'm trying to, post COVID, a lot of people wanted flexibility. So these people are growing in numbers. Now, in the old days, I used to call them people between jobs. What are you doing? I'm doing consultancy work because I've lost my first job and I'm now looking for the next one. In the middle, I'll just do some consultancy. That is no longer the case. People are actually making a living out of it because technology. I could be sitting here advising someone in Florida hmm. or vice versa. And I'm using that as an example because it's talking about even uh, across oceans and time zones. And that it's still happening right now. Um, now, the last challenge that I think I have to reflect on, and that's a little bit of a juicy one in the sense that it's worth reflecting on. One is reputation of the industry. All you have to do is Google consultancy and scandals hmm. and audit scandals and companies being banned from operating in an audit in country A or an industry that has pushed its wrong product because of the mighty lobbying machine of that advisory company or consultancy. Airlines have lost their shirt and think just, I'll, I'll mention Swiss Air. Mm. Just Google Swiss Air and look at the history of that company and why with their hunter strategy failed and the whole company came down. Just because they have influence on that and the reputation is obviously that, look, mm. you bring in rookies for an industry that you know nothing about in a, in a continent you know nothing about, and I may be exaggerating, but you have, there are consequences. Okay. And that's the point. There's a reputational issue. Maybe I would probably here and today with you ask for, just like every industry has its own audit forum, mm. that we need to have an audit forum for this industry because every single day, if not once a week, one of those consultancy is fined a couple of hundred million dollars mm. for some misconduct of some sort. Mm. That's not cool. Mm. And I don't want to be part of that. Um, because it's not sustainable. And the fact is, it's still legal. And I don't know how and why. But anyways, that is a challenge that I think is worth reflecting on. Interesting. But some of these companies, you know, as you mentioned, if, if they were Googled, it, it is out there. So there is, you know, the courts are involved. There is obviously 100%. reputational issues. And it's very, you know, it, do you think it's damaging then on your industry if you're entering it? Because when you were speaking, I, I thought, well, actually, the problem here is a reputational problem for these companies. And maybe someone with your experience could have consulted them. But, you know, why did you take on this? sort of harder, uh, why did you join an industry that isn't sort of the hottest thing right now? Uh, I'll take it back to my first initial thought. My thought is I wanted to use my wings, my knowledge, and help people. I'm not going to stop doing that. But whilst recognizing that there is a significant um, reputational 
issue, let's say, because the word consultant is actually not very well received by a lot of companies, including those that use consultants. Mm. The word is not a taboo, but it's actually not your positive, most uh, respected name in the industry. We pretended, and I want to be straight up, we call ourselves advisors, whilst we are consulting at the end of the day, but we are tough love advisors. Mm. One, because I've never been a consultant. I didn't grow up in the consulting world. I'm coming here to advise you. I am using some of the tools of the consulting world mm. that are legit because these people are not a trillion plus billion dollar company um, without yes. any merits. There are plenty of merits, but comes with it the influence that they come in. They're almost like, in my opinion, lobbyists mm. of the biggest uh, uh, factor. Um, so I've gone into an industry. I accept it. I'm going to see if I can reform it. Not today. I'm too minuscule of a, of a person. But my voice with you here today to say, look, there is a better way. Not just tough love advisors. There's plenty of out there, the gig economy out there. Use them, utilize them, but at the same time, hold those. And just like a lot of governments are, those who are creating that reputation accountable. The sad part is they have some deep pockets. Mm deep pockets, and they would rather settle out of court than to admit fault. Mm. And that's where my problem is. Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> when you listed out the kind of four areas of services, you included comms as well. Correct. Uh, how do you view the, the comms industry? Uh, you know, from, from my point of view, I often think, you know, PR agencies, uh, especially working in media, that they're very tactical, they're very sort of, uh, they miss the point of comms a lot of the time. You know, they're they're organized. They're in the sort of sale part of marketing as opposed to the brand reputation and communications. I know that's a generalization, but uh, you know, I, I I wonder from your view, from someone who worked with a large corporate for a while in that sector, when you were procuring partners, is the industry good enough here in the comms world? Let's start with definition of what comms is. Uh, comms is communicating a message both internally and externally. And that message needs to be consistent with your company's strategy. So it's, there's a bit of scientific feel to it rather than just here's a word or here's an, a press release, which is the old days. Remember, I used to be in the days when we used to fax them. So I've seen the evolution of the PR world, the comms world. And I've seen it evolve into a place where it can have influence on your people and other people who you're trying to sell your product or services to. I consider that as the bloodline in your organization and hopefully to the world out there that you're trying to, because it ties all the pieces together. Now, for you to be able to go into such an intricate piece of machinery, you need to know what your client's needs are. So send me a brief, it's too passe for me. Because sometimes you're gonna miss the cultural piece in the brief, the nuances in that brief. I need, for me to be able to add value to your business from a comms point of view, I need to spend time walking your corridors, speaking to your people. We don't do that, we cannot, we don't invest time in that. Recently, hired an agency, digital agency, I, I was, you know, coaching them because that's part of my, my job. I was saying, look, you guys, you know, me sending you a brief and talking to you on Zoom is one thing. 
meeting, traveling in, making an effort to attend events, invest in this time, whether it's an iftar, whether it's a breakfast, whether it's a, you know, a dinner, whether it's a company function, come and just sit in the corner and listen. Then you understand the language they use, the culture they have, mm. and the challenges they have. Then you go back and use your brain to put a, strat- a calm strategy together. Okay, not, okay, what do you want me to do? This is not like, you're not having an exchange over a counter. I need to be part of your organization to a certain degree to be able to help you in the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Uh, okay, that's brilliant. That's your approach. I like it. Uh, very valuable. And but how do you, you know, f- from the commercial side of comms, the industry that is, you know, that's a great way to look at it internally as an organization. But, uh, you know, that's not necessarily how uh, the industry is working at the moment. The industry is is grappling with speed of technology. That that's the fact. Because I mean, a lot of advertising industries have evolved very, very quickly and very recently as well. The comms world is the same. You know, right now, one of the first questions is trying to talk about talent, talent of someone writing something, and then in the same breath, you're talking about what ChatGPT can bring to the table. So wait a minute, do I need to hire and train someone when I have the technology that can take over very quickly if I know how to utilize it. And you don't have to be so good to come in and produce some good quality content that's well-researched. Of course, there will be one or two people that checks it. But so that's back to the point of, yes, we're not there. Will we ever be? Because the world is moving every day. Um, But the point is, because of the speed of technology is impacting that specific industry, you don't know where to get your talent from because you need talent for this mm. and and to be able to invest in that talent and create a, a structure a modus operandi of how I do business with my clients you're, you're trying to pivot every day how are you going to spend time creating that model that is the most efficient most effective way of adding value to your clients business look it's not easy otherwise I would have opened another communications agency at the same time but the point is there is a need for it and there is a need for it with you being able to have both uh, an eye on the, on, the, on the prize, the client and their needs, but also what's happening around you so you can bring value from the speed of technology that's happening around you. And sometimes you lose sight of one or the other because you're focused on one. But the challenge is to have both, hmm. especially now. Interesting. You mentioned sort of lobbying and, and, and things like that. And it reminded me of, you know, how corporations grow in, in the U.S. and in other parts and um, how polished they seem with corporate comms and right down from, it, in, you know, strategies and objectives that are important for the business to how they manage their investor relations and everything like that. Uh, do you think the region is ready for sort of you know, let, let's assume there's, you know, we're on the wave of uh, economic growth. We're going to have a lot more commercial entities go public in the region. There's a lot more foreign direct investment. There's a lot of things like that. Are, are, is our, are the corporate comms, is it good enough in the industry, uh, uh, in the region in general? Uh, I would be lying if I said yes. Uh, I would be optimistic that there is a recognition that the more exposed you are, the more you have to have your ducks in a row. Uh, If you're a small company, 
you make the rules, you and your clients and the little ecosystem that you work in. But if you become a public company with media that holds you accountable for everything that you do, then you need to have your comms ducks in a row, which means there's something in the, because I've done crisis management globally for our teams when I was, that is my area of expertise. There's something called a holding statement. You write a holding statement. That is what every single one of your thousand employees need to repeat when someone asks mm. you a question. That is holding yourself accountable for something because whatever I say is the, the law for the company, but you, when you hear it, you can hold me accountable for it, whatever that is. Whereas today that may not be as strict. That is how you control a multi-billion dollar company is to make sure that you have processes in place. There is one, maybe a backup spokesperson. Not everyone can speak in a company. And that's why there's something called media training mm -hmm. because you, you media train a person to be able to communicate the company's message in a consistent way, credible way, in a believable way. Now, whether I'm lying or not, that's obviously my problem because you can hold me accountable. But if I'm communicating a message to you in a clear and credible way, I've done my job, but I'm trained to do it and I'm licensed to do it. Licensed as in given the permission, not anyone in my company. So back to your point, a lot of the companies are not prepared for that in a professional manner. I mean, look, they recognize it. A lot of companies are going global. UAE is an incredible place of companies that are now seeing, small companies are seeing the light beyond uh, their borders. Th they're going to start holding themselves and uh, the people around them accountable for certain certain things that they do and say. Is there a culture of transparency in business in the region? I, I, I think it's growing because social media. You, you can pretend to behave whichever way, but if I see you in different forums, in a different way, I'll know you're either schizophrenic or you're not being truthful. I think it's self-fulfilling prophecy with social media is that if you do not behave in a way that is transparent, I'm going to find out and I'm going to call you out, whether it's on a Twitter feed or whether it's on a social media uh, uh, comment. And then, you know, people do follow that and they will, you know, question you. Yeah. Interesting. So coming to the end, I always ask, you know, the Middle East is often known as an emerging market. Uh, you know, do you, do you think, are you bullish and optimistic about the region? You've set up a business with a focus on the region. Uh, is this a good time to be here? And uh, do you think that it's a region that will emerge? Uh, I think this is a rhetorical question, to be honest, uh, because whoever is listening to this would agree with me. We are in one of the most exciting regions on planet Earth uh, in every way you can think about it. Um, whether it's for business, whether it's for lifestyle, leisure. Uh, we're in a place where hopefully with the geopolitics kind of goes away and I can see it without going to mentioning names, things are settling down. And with Saudi taking this bullish approach to uh, evolution of that country and progress, the UAE is where it is today. We just need to kind of send some of that love across the borders within this region. Uh, has the resources, great weather until the summer comes along. Uh, and of course, the people. And you have an influx of millions of people uh, that want to be part of this growth. And I'm very optimistic. 
uh, and I would like to see this something continue to grow for everyone else, but also for our business uh, that we're, you know, at Tough Love. Definitely. Very optimistic, very positive. So what, what you know, we're kind of into the uh, second quarter of the year. What's the outlook for Tough Love this year? What, what you know, you seem to have done a lot in a year. There's already a book, there's an academy, etc. Um, are you ahead of plan and what's the outlook like? In any business, you always need to be a little bit more ambitious, those audacious goals as we put them. Mm. Uh, we have put our plans in place. We know we're going to have to pivot. We need to be flexible. One, two major contracts could change things for us because we're small. Uh, we want to expand. So we are in Saudi as well mm. uh, because Mohammed, one of our partners, is a Saudi and he's obviously the managing director of... Um, Tough Love in Saudi, based in Riyadh. We want to be able to expand beyond Saudi and the UAE, but, you know, why don't we focus on that for a while? So for the interim is to kind of keep an eye on where the opportunities are, but with focus on the UAE and Saudi. We want to to focus on building rapport with people because one of the most exciting pieces of recognition is for the same client to call you back because we haven't had that opportunity except maybe one or two. I want every client that we help them do something is to call you back and say, you know what? I really like your approach. Come, we have another challenge that we would like you to work with you on. If we can focus on those and bring those repeat business, then I feel like we've got a foundation that we can build on for a model. Tough love Egypt, tough love Turkey, tough love the region, Qatar, whatever. Right now, this is our focus is to grow the business, make it successful where we are in Saudi and the UAE. And let's see where the future holds. <laughs> it sounds like it's going in the right direction. Pleasure talking to you this morning, Khaled, and we'll, yeah, we'll hear more about Tough Love, I'm sure, in the future. Thank you very much, Richard, for having me. I was taking notes during that. I think I know everything about online communications and then Khaled teaches me some more. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as well. Thank you to Shahir, Ali, and uh, all the people who have put together this podcast and distributed on Love in Dubai and Smashy TV and the audio platforms. If you are listening on the audio platforms, please do subscribe or share with a friend. Uh, if you'd like to watch it in full, it's on Smashy TV. We might put these... Uh, in full episodes on YouTube as well at the moment. Uh, there's just the short clips on YouTube and then there's an article in Love in Dubai. We'll be back next week, uh, which is uh, the week after Aid, uh, at 11 o'clock on Fridays with a new episode. All right, done. <laughs>